Good morning, church family. I am so thankful to have this privilege to come before you and to walk through Ezra chapter 8 with you. My name is Jeremy Micklack. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverstone Church. Thank you for coming and being a part of this time together. Um, a couple weeks ago was my eighth anniversary of being hired here at the church. I was hired as the pastor of youth and young adults at the time. I appreciate the thank you. Um, and um, I was just thinking about some things that I've gone through as my time here and serving as a pastor. But before I kind of share some of the stories that just came to my mind, I am eager to find out how long you've been here. So if you don't mind, just like putting your hand up, if you've been here for like the last six months, like Riverstone Church, can you raise your hand? Last six months? How about like if you've been here longer than like two years? Longer than two years you've been a part of this church. All right, ready? We're going to up it now. If you've been here longer than five years, can you raise your hand? For some reason, there's more hands now than at the beginning. <laughs> That's okay. All right. If you've been here longer than 10 years, longer than 10 years, yeah, you proudly raise that hand. 15 years. Now we're getting down to it. 15 years. 20 years you've been part of this church. 20 years. 25 years. Can we give them a round of applause? Listen. Is there anyone in this room that has been here since the beginning of the church at Riverstone? I am so thankful for these people, for these brothers and sisters who have been here for that long. And I was thinking about this chapter and how important, as we've been going through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, the importance of being able to look back of what we've gone through, the people of Israel, what they've been able to look back on, what God has brought them through, and the connections that have been made through this book and the history of the Israelites from Exodus and coming out to the promised land and now leaving Babylon in captivity and going back to the promised land again. I do want to give a special shout out to those who are tuning in online. Um, hi, Grandma and Grandfather. Thank you for tuning in and watching me. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for your prayers. Um, I know they're watching online right now. Um, Couple things. The last eight years, we've expanded our facilities. We've gone through a name change. It used to be Bible Fellowship Church, now a Riverstone Church. I've gotten married to Emily, my wife. We've had two children, my son Everett, who's five now, and my daughter Adeline, who's two. We got we bought a home in Morrisville, where we live now. Um, I've cried countless tears. For you, uh, in prayer, received countless words of encouragement. We've buried beloved members of, our, of this body. We've witnessed new life by God's grace through the genuine faith of those who believe in Christ. We've baptized dozens. We've seen the fruit of many ministries. We had a flag football league out here. We have a softball league that's still going. I was a part of a, a men's retreat mud run. Those who are on that weekend, Pete, you remember? Uh, 
We've participated in many different missions trips. Um, one time, it was like the first mission trip Austin and I were on together. Our pontoon boat almost capsized while we were there. Um, we sent a team of youth students to Northern Ireland where we were asked to play this soccer match against a team in Northern Ireland. None of us really played soccer together. Um, a couple years ago, we went to Holland and some of our team members almost got arrested. I'm not going to get into that. I don't know if you were here, but there was a day when we had temporary walls when we were going through construction. And it was in November. It was like this is about the same time as when it was. And it was like we had to evacuate, okay? The wall started coming down on us. So we had to evacuate uh, that Sunday. So for those who were here, that was a, a fun Sunday morning experience. But I can't help but think of the memories that you've had and how the hand of God has been upon this church and all of the many experiences that you have had that has brought you now to this point in your life. But God's not done, is he? God has much left in store for you and for this church. And for our family, our family has been growing. Over the last month now, Emily, my wife, and I, we have now been fostering um, we have a new daughter in our house. Her name is Catalina, and she's 17. She's from Guatemala, and we are so happy that she's with us. Um, and I know in our church there are members that have been adopted, that have been in foster care, that have pursued adoption, that are adopting right now, and pursuing fostering and pursuing this endeavor. Um, I just found this out just a, this week, but this month is actually the National Adoption Month for our nation. President Biden, he said these, these words. We recognize all the adoptive and kinship families across America who change children's lives for the better. We give thanks for the foster families who love, care for, and provide for our nation's foster youth as well as the dedicated professionals who are invested in these children's futures. We send our encouragement to everyone still waiting for the chance to adopt and grow their family. We rededicate ourselves to ensuring that all children have the unconditional love of a permanent home. Again, I share this with you because I want you to know what's going on in my life personally so I can receive your prayers. But also, I'm reminded of what we've been studying in Ezra and Nehemiah. Reminded that as the people of Israel have been away from their home, that by God's grace they are able to go home and have their home again. That as us, we are called to be a part of God's family, that we have our ultimate home in the Lord. And we desire now as a family, Emily and I, to provide a home to a child that can't be in their home. So before we get into the book and the chapter this morning, I'm thankful to be a part of this church body, to be a part of this family, to continue to pursuing God's mission and plan for this church and truly understand that the hand of God has been on us and that's what we're going to find out in this chapter, that the hand of God is on those who seek him. Will you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful that we can be a part of this church. Lord, I'm so thankful for those, even if this is their very first Sunday to be here with us, that you have called them to be a part of the body. Lord, we're so thankful that we have your word, that we can study it and practice it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray that as we think about your word and we study it this morning, that they would not just be black ink on white pages, but we would encounter the living Jesus. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to apply these words to our lives, that we would be obedient, faithful children of the Almighty God. We love you and we want to serve you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, if you can come forward. If you don't have a Bible this morning and you'd like to use this Bible to study from this morning, please just put your hand up. They'd be happy to give it to you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please, I'm not kidding when I say this, please just keep this Bible. Um, If you don't have one, we want to make sure that you have the Word of God so that you can study it for yourself. It's not just something that we study on Sunday mornings, but as the family of God, we want to study it every single day because we are in desperate need of being with Jesus. And we do that by encountering him through his word. So you can open your Bible up to Ezra chapter 8. Chapter 7 ended with this phrase. I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. You see, the people of Israel were in captivity for 70 years. And Zerubbabel brought a group of about 50,000 back to Jerusalem. Now they rebuilt the temple. What we see in this chapter is they don't just call it the temple, but they call it the house of God. About another 60 years later, now Ezra is assembling a team to go, and he is desiring to follow the word of God, to reinstitute the sacrificial worship at the temple. So now we're going to get the inside scoop of what's going on, who are these people that are going with Ezra, and how do they get there in this chapter, in Ezra chapter 8. But what we see is that the hand of God is on those who seek him. We know that God is not hidden, nor his way is hidden. But it's so that we and the people of Israel might live in his way and worship him more fully and love him more fully. So let's read together. Before we read it, if you don't mind, can you just take a look at who's next to you? If you don't know their name, can you just introduce yourself and just say like a 10-second prayer? Just saying, God, please help illuminate the scriptures for this person and use their name. Can you just say a prayer with the person next to you? And I'm going to say a prayer, a quick prayer for those who are online. Lord, we pray that as we read your word, we encounter Christ, that we would be able to understand by the power of your spirit, you would illuminate these words to us so that we can understand and apply it. Amen. All right. Ezra 8. I'm not um, trying to procrastinate some of this. Um, I promise. Okay. Now, these are the heads of the father's households and the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phinehas Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar Daniel, of the sons of David Hattush, of the sons of Shechaniah, who was the sons of Parash Zechariah, and with him 150 males who were in the genealogical list, of the sons of Path, Moab, Elioni, the son of Zerahiah, and 200 males with him, of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the sons of Jehaziel, and 300 males with him, and of the sons of Aden, Ebed, of the sons of Jonathan, and fifty males with him. And of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and the seventy males with him. And of the sons of Jephetiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and eighty males with him. 
Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and 218 males with him. Of the sons of Bani, Shalemith, the son of Josephiah, and the 160 males with him. And of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and 28 males with him. And of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and 110 males with him. And of the sons of Adonikam, the last ones, these being their names, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and 60 males with them. And of the sons of Bagvi, Uthai, and Zabud, and 70 males with them. I'm going to stop right there. People are important to God. God loves us so much that we see that he's created us, designed us. He's made us for a great purpose. And what we see here, not just lists of men, but lists of families. These people have sacrificed so much now to make this journey back home, to their home, that they have been far away. And for some of these people, they have never seen or been there. And what we see in this list is the first couple names, Phineas and Ithamar, that were given. They were descendants of Aaron. Now, Aaron was the very first high priest of Israel. And all of his descendants are part of the order of the high priests. So Aaron, who was a descendant of the tribe of Levi, and all of the Levites are a part of this people that would help the priests and the high priests to serve in the temple. So why is that important? Why are they going back? Ezra and this group of people are going back now to the house of God to bring back the sacrificial worship in the temple. But there are only so many people and certain people that can do this. The high priests, the Levites, are called to be a part of this temple worship. And that tribe was set apart, and the family of Aaron inside of that tribe was set apart to be the high priests. So we have Phineas and Ithamar. And we, we need to remember that throughout this chapter, it's Ezra's goal, not because it's his own preference or opinion or desire, but he gets it from the word of God. He wants to be obedient to the word of God at all costs. No matter what it takes, I want to go back and I want to follow God. I want to seek him. And the hand of God is on those who seek him. After those people, after Ithamar and Phineas, what we see is a breakdown of 12 families. I think it's interesting on how that relates back to when they first left Egypt in the Exodus. The 12 tribes, right, the 12 families listed, very similar to the Exodus when families from the 12 tribes are listed. There was about 1,500 men in all of this list not nearly like what it was in the first return back to Jerusalem. Right, we're talking about maybe 10 times less going back now. But the work is not done. They want to continue to follow God's word. And yet, why are there so little going back? God is not always looking for the masses but he's looking for the faithful that he can use even one of us to accomplish his purpose, that he wants to see the faithful be obedient to him and he can accomplish his plan through them even if it's not 50,000, even if it's not 10,000, that it can just take a few faithful that God can use because God is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing 
and he will protect them and he will accomplish his plan through them. Now what we're going to find out is, remember, Ezra's going back to reinstate the sacrificial worship. They need Levites. They have Ithamar and Phineas. But now what we're going to read here is we're going to find out something pretty important. Let's turn to verse 15 in Ezra chapter 8. Now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. And when I paid close attention to the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. So I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshalam, leading men, and for Joyrib and Elnathan teachers. And I sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place called Casaphia. And I told them what to say to Edo and his brothers, the temple servants at the place Casaphia, that is, to bring ministers to us for the house of God. And as the good hand of God was upon us, they brought us a man of insight from the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, and his sons and brothers, 18 men. And Hashabiah and Jeshiah of the sons of Moriah, with his brothers and their sons, 20 men and 220 of the temple servants, whom David and the officials had provided for the service of the Levites, all of them designated by name. There were no Levites. Now, Ezra, as the leader, he could have just said, hey, I'm being sent by the king now to go back to, to Jerusalem with a treasure. We can just go. But instead, he knew, no, I am going to follow the word of God. And in order to bring back worship to the temple, there needs to be Levites. There needs to be these certain people. So he stops and he sends word, and God provides it wasn't by Ezra's genius strategy. It wasn't by his hard work. But it was by the hand of God that he provided this, these Levites to, so that they could go and reinstitute the worship in the temple. See, he was more than just a man on the mission. But Ezra wanted things to be how they used to. It wasn't like he wanted things to be how they used to be. But he wanted to be obedient to the word of God. God's word showed the people how to worship the one true God. And so it wasn't about preference or opinion. But Ezra wanted to be obedient to the word of God. He could have compromised. But compromise was not an option. Again, we can ask the question when he first gathered those people, why weren't the Levites a part of that first group? Some people believe that the Levites had such good jobs, comfortable lives in Babylon, that they didn't want to go. We don't know for sure, but it's interesting to think about how they may have had these important jobs within Babylon and the wealth that they had, and to leave this comfortable, convenient lifestyle that has a lot of risk, it was not worth it to them. And yet God brings those who are faithful. Church, as I was studying this, I realized that I'm tempted to live similarly. In the sense of comfort has this tendency to become a priority in my life. That I get used to certain comforts and I begin to convince myself that comforts are necessities. But like I mentioned um, I have a two-year-old daughter, 
And something that she always keeps close to her for her comfort is she has her little blankie. As kids, maybe we had things that gave us a sense of belonging and comfort for us. Um, and it's been said now, as we get older, as adults, the cell phone may have replaced the toddler's teddy bear for comfort and a sense of belonging. To live life without it would cause us a great deal of discomfort. And yet it's important that we don't allow the comforts in our life, whatever they may be, to creep into our lives and keep us from doing what God has called us to do. For God has never called us to be comfortable and to live in luxury. But he's called us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him regardless of the cost. And for those who were faithful, in verse 18, it says, the good hand of God was upon us. He brought those who were faithful. He provided the Levites for the next step of the journey. And there were about 258 Levites now that were a part of this group to go back to Jerusalem. And so now we're going to see in the next section that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra an enormous treasure to bring to the temple. And they needed these Levites because they were going to be the ones to bring to protect and to carry this treasure all the way back to Jerusalem. All right, let's keep reading now. We're in verse 21. Ezra could have just left, but he stops. He says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava to humble ourselves before our God to seek from him. A safe journey for us, our little ones, and all of our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Because he said to the king, The hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him. But his power and his anger are against all those who abandon him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. And he listened to our pleading. So before they leave on their journey, they stop. And they fast and they pray. And throughout the Bible, we see people who choose to fast and pray. Did you know that the first time we see fasting in the Bible is when Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God. He fasted for 40 days as he was in the presence of God, as God gave him the law to give him so that he could lead the people. So that the people of Israel could be that nation to be set apart so that they could live differently so that all the other people in the world could see and acknowledge the one true God through the nation of Israel. And so now here's Ezra bringing the people of Israel together before they go back, taking a period of time to fast and to pray, to seek God. The purpose of fasting we see here right now, to humble ourselves. It's not just the act of not eating or making a sacrifice to show, God, look how much I love you. Everybody look at me. I'm not doing this so that I could be holy. But it was to humble themselves so that they could seek God. God, protect us. Protect our little ones. Protect our children. Protect this treasure that we're bringing back so that we can be obedient to you. Because, Lord, we desire to follow your word and we're willing to sacrifice everything so we can be obedient to you. They saw protection from enemies and bandits and sickness as they make this journey to Jerusalem. And Ezra mentions that he was afraid to request protection from the king. So instead, he fasts and he prays to the one true God who is higher and more powerful than any king. His faith comes to life. 
And we see that Ezra prays for the people, the little ones and the possessions. I also wonder if many of the Levites didn't come because maybe they were worried about their families. They were worried about this journey that they would have to make. And I know as a parent, having two little ones of myself, I'm often concerned for their safety. And yet, I know and I believe that their spiritual life is much more valuable and important to me. So even for those who don't have a family of their own, every decision that we make, it impacts others. To be obedient to God sometimes comes in conflict with safety and convenience. And how often do we believe that the Lord provides for us and then our actions show otherwise? We start to rely on ourselves to provide. Or we trust God that God loves our children more than we could ever imagine. And we believe that he's created them and knows them by name and loves them even more than we do as parents. And yet we still struggle with controlling everything for them. And we put the weight and the burden of parenting on ourselves when we know that God is their spiritual father. That he has the best interest for them. And so instead of trusting God, we rely on ourselves. But may our love for God and our desire to seek him and to be obedient to him drive us to overcome the fears that we have. When Emily and I were beginning the process of pursuing foster care, some people would ask us, well, aren't you concerned for your own children? And often we would try to answer that question by saying, it's because we have kids that we want to do this. Because we want our children to experience this, to see the love of God, to experience this with us. Our spiritual growth as parents doesn't come in a vacuum. And so even like last week when we had a group of men going on a retreat, our men don't just go on a retreat just for themselves to be spiritually refreshed, but they come back so that they can impact their families and those around them. Our spiritual life isn't just for us, but it's for our friends and our family and our community too, that our obedience impacts everyone. And so when we think about these people who went, it wasn't just these men, but it was their wives and their children and their families that went, sacrificing much before the throne of God. The hand of God is on those who seek him. And Ezra sought the Lord in this endeavor because he desired to be obedient to his word. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. Then I selected 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and with them 10 of their brothers. And I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the utensils, offering for the house of God, which the king, his counselors, and his officials, all Israel who were present there, had contributed. So I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver utensils worth 100 talents, and a hundred gold talents, and twenty gold bowls worth a thousand derricks, and two utensils of fine shiny bronze, precious as gold. Then I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the utensils are holy, and the silver and the gold are a voluntary offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leading priests, the Levites, and the leaders of the fathers' households of Israel in Jerusalem. In the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites accepted the weight of silver and gold and the utensils to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of God. There's a ton of treasure here. To be more specific, there's almost 30 tons of treasure here. 
No wonder Ezra wanted to pray for protection if they were worried about bandits and robbers of people attacking them for their treasure. You see, this was part of what was given to them to bring back to bring back the worship in the temple is they needed to bring back this treasure. There was so much treasure here that it was worth more or somewhere in between the annual income of anywhere between 100,000 and 500,000 people. But only the Levites were responsible for carrying this treasure back. And this is another reason why Ezra needed the Levites on this journey. You see, some of the names that are included in this little passage here goes back to the beginning of the chapter that are found when the Levites came. So God enables those he calls. The hand of God is on those who seek him. Again, God provides the protection for them to bring back the service in the temple. You keep reading with me in verse 31. Then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. He rescued us from the hand of the enemy, the ambushes by the road. So we came to Jerusalem and remained there for three days. And on the fourth day, the silver, the gold, and the utensils were weighed out in the house of our God in the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binui. A notation was made for everything by number and weight, and all the weight was recorded at the time. They made it. They made it back. But more importantly, the exiles who had come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, 12 male goats for a sin offering, all as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then they delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and the governors in the provinces beyond the Euphrates River, and they supported the people and the house of God. They made it back, and they were able to sacrifice again in the house of God because the hand of God was on them. They made it to Jerusalem as a protection for the people to be able to serve God. And they made the sacrifices to the Lord. Church family, we ourselves do not always seek the Lord. I'm thankful that the story didn't end there. But what we see in the New Testament in Luke chapter 19 is this story of a man named Zacchaeus. You might be familiar with it. At the very end of the story, Zacchaeus says this, the son of man came to seek and save. Church, we know that there is no one righteous, no one holy enough to be in the presence of God, but God in his grace came as the person of Jesus to seek and to save us. And those who have been saved by him, we can know even now, today, in this moment, that the gracious hand of our God is on us. Not because of anything that we've done, not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus. Because of him, we continue to seek him. That because he first sought us and saved us, now we can be restored and redeemed now to seek God. 
And we don't need to go to Jerusalem and make sacrifices because Jesus came to seek and save us. And he gave himself as the final sacrifice that has been made so that we can seek and to grow and to know him better so that we might live for him more fully and worship him more completely. So we desire that God would stir in us as a church the desire to seek him as Jesus came to seek and save us that we may now seek him. And as you think about how God's hand is upon you, it's so that we can be obedient to him, to serve him, to sacrifice for him. So consider how you, he might be stirring in your heart this morning. Perhaps you're being stirred to consider a new vocation. Perhaps you've been serving him in a job, but maybe he's calling you now to full-time ministry. Maybe as a student, what you're studying you feel convicted that it's time to, to change majors. Maybe God is calling some of us to move to a new place, to a new community to serve him. Perhaps he's stirring you to go on a mission trip with our church or to be baptized in the new year. But church, I beg you and I pray that you wouldn't let the stirring of God in your heart be quenched because of convenience, because of comfort, or because of fear. For we, we read today in this chapter that God will enable you to do what he's calling you to do. He will provide, he will protect so that you can be obedient to him. Remember how your obedience impacts those around you as we seek him as a community, as a family, and as the church. Church family, God's hand is upon those who seek him. And thank Jesus we seek him because he sought us first. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Sometimes when we come to you in prayer, we're scared to ask for for things because of what it might mean for us as a family or as an individual, to go to places that we're not familiar with or to do things that makes us nervous or anxious or we're just scared to do. But Lord, because of Jesus and his sacrifice and because he first sought us, Lord, we want to seek you. We want to be obedient to you through your word. So Lord, we pray. We pray that you would stir in our hearts that you would call us to things that we could never imagine that we would be able to do, but because of our faith in you, that you would enable us to do these things, to be obedient to you. Lord, we pray that you would raise up volunteers in this church, people who are willing to sacrifice comfort and convenience and luxury for you. Lord, we pray for those who are crippled by fear this morning, thinking about the things that you've called them to do, when we're surrounded by people who don't trust and believe in, in the one true God, it's easy for us to compromise. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would forgive us of these sins, things, but we also pray for your boldness by the power of your spirit to stand up for what's true and for what's right and for what's holy. God, we pray that you would bring us together as a church, make us one as we were singing this song this morning that Benjamin led us. Lord, we, may we be one as you and the Father are one.
so that the world can see that you are the one true God. Lord, we love you so much and we love Jesus. Thank you for seeking us first so we can seek you. Amen. Thank you, church family. I hope you have a great weekend.